So how were you after the premiere and after the other performance? I'm happy. This whole thing has been quite an experiment. Mm -hmm. It seems that we have really accomplished something by making this work. Yes. Not just an artistic point of view, but also mapping out a way forward for how we do opera in the future under the conditions of the pandemic. And, and I think that we accomplished something very important by doing that. Mm -hmm. So this brings me personal satisfaction. Yeah. But there was also a lot of pressure and stress. More so for the people in the primary roles. Certainly both the Electra and the Chrysotomus, Hytemnestra, these three ladies yeah, yeah. were under tremendous pressure. My part is relatively small. Mm -hmm. It's important. Yeah. The weight of the production is not sitting on my shoulders. And so there is pressure, but nothing even remotely like what they must have had to do. Yeah. How do you deal after the premiere? Do you take some rest or are you trying more to also improve the role? Or, or? Oh, we rest because yeah, yeah. we put okay. in a lot of time already. But for me, between yeah. the premiere and now, we've been commuting a bit between here and food schools yeah. for the UNICEF gala. But I've had an association with UNICEF for over 20 years. And this is my 10th year mm -hmm. in field schools in particular. Some spaces in between, but I've been back and forth over the yeah. last 20 years 10 times. The cause of UNICEF is something very important to me. If I can at all make it possible to participate, I do. Yeah. The timing worked out <laughs> extremely well because <laughs> we had the premiere on the first. Yes. On the second, I went to Philip Smooth. The concert was on the fifth, and the uh -huh. second performance was on the sixth. Uh, that evening, I went back to Philip Smooth. It's only an hour away. And so I've had a couple of days in Philip Smooth theoretically <laughs> to rest. Yeah. It's never 100% rest because you're still there in a, an official capacity and as an artist representing UNICEF. Yeah. So there's still always that element there, even mm -hmm. whether you're resting or not. Yes. The last day of my rest, <laughs> you know, was a meeting with the Burgermeister, and yes. <laughs> he's a very nice man. His hospitality is very generous, but that's an official visit. Yeah, it's not so, not so resting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. When it's official, it's work. It is work. <laughs> Even when there is cake. <laughs> so, yesterday I came back, but most of the day just trying not yeah. to be too hot. And we have our performance tonight. Can a weather like this really exhaust singers and ends? Yes. We have to keep super hydrated. Lots and lots and lots of water. You have to pace yourself very carefully, even in the smaller parts, you know, so that yeah. when you're on, you're on, and it's 150%. Some voices actually like the heat. I kind of, I don't like it too hot, I don't like it too cold. I'm like Goldilocks. <laughs> so, uh, how is it for you not being able to concentrate on this performance and have to also prepare for the concert repertoire and, and other things? Well, actually it's more the other way around. My concentration is on this project. With UNICEF, I go on, I sing two songs, I'm done. It's kind of more being there present as an artist and the people come to see you because yeah. it's you that's there. Yeah, yeah. You know, but um, 
it's not a heavy program. I'm one of a dozen artists that are on the program. So yeah. it's not a solo concert recital. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. That I would not do in the middle of an opera. I think that would be too much. Yeah. But because it's relatively low pressure, it doesn't take away from the electra. I would have had to say no if it was something like that. And how was the rehearsing process for this role in, in Electra? Because it's still reduced rehearsals and Ooh. it's more intense, I imagine. It's been a little disconcerting. The scene with the maids is very intense. And what the women say and the music around it yeah. is very... I've done nine productions of Electra. This is, this is the ninth okay. one. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> yes, a lot. In this role, the first eight productions were all Patricia Rowe production. Eight productions of one particular concept. And so this is the first new one since then. The register, uh, they work in very different ways. You know, they're two yeah. different people. Yeah. That's how it is. If I do a third production, it will be something completely different, I'm sure. Yeah. You know, that's how this business works. Mm -hmm. You know, everyone has their own ideas of how they want to proceed. And my job as an artist is to try to fulfill that to the best of my ability. In the Chéreau production, we put in 70 rehearsal hours into that scene. <laughs> it yep. was a crazy <laughs> amount of rehearsal time. And the maids were on all the time. You know, we were a part of almost yeah. every scene in the yeah. opera. You know, not all five of us, and sometimes it might have been one or two of us and a couple of the maids that were statistics, six actresses who were the okay. other maids. They didn't have lines, but they didn't mm -hmm. just, yeah, they, you know, they, yeah. Yeah, they were very much a part of the yeah. action. Yeah. In almost every scene, they make an appearance, one, two, three, mm. you know, when Clytemnestra comes in, all of us are on stage. And when she walks in the room, we hit the floor. It was very physical. We react to what's going on, and it's like a complete household. You know? Yes. It was a very, very different way of working with these women, and each one was a very specific character. With Wolikowski, his focus was more on the principles. The maids were important but more like background characters. He didn't give a lot of really specific direction. Okay. We've had to improvise to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. You know, within a framework. You set a framework, and then we've more or less filled that framework somewhat. Was it a challenge to be more improvising? A bit. Because the thing about improv is that you kind of have to know the people. Mm -hmm you're doing that with. My colleagues are very nice ladies. There hasn't been much of a real opportunity for us to really know each other in that way. Just the, the whole circumstances of the pandemic, the whole distancing thing. People kind of did a little bit of nationalism <laughs> to a certain extent. You know, the two girls from Ireland and Scotland kind of yeah. clicked together, you know. And um, the two Slavic girls, the one from Serbia and the other one from Moldova, clicked, you know. And there was myself as an African-American 
and my Turkish colleague, who also spent some time in the United States, but were very different people, very different ages, and literally twice her age. <laughs> and, you know, that makes a difference, too. That was something else that was very different between the Shiro and this one, was that the maids were all different ages. The Alfseyerin was almost 70. The, um, our Alfseyerin is like 28. She's a young girl. You know, it's a different very person. different, yeah, very different. The um, fifth maid in the Shoro in the original production was in her middle 60s, and she was presented as the Ama, the nurse for the royal children for Electra, Prasatam, mm. and Sinorestes. So she's known these people from practically from birth, you know, and in some ways, she's cared for them more than Clytemnestra. You know, the circumstances of Clytemnestra and Agamemnon being together in the first place to have these three children has an element of force, almost rape involved. Not a love marriage for mm -hmm. Clytemnestra. And her child from her first marriage, which was a love match, was the Iphigenia. Yeah. And Agamemnon sacrifices that child to appease the gods to provide good winds for his ships as he goes off to war. Clytemnestra not only does not forgive him for that, when he comes back, she hacks him up into little pieces in his bed. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> mm, there's a little history behind all of what happens in this opera. It's so, uh, such an intense story. I imagine me. it's so difficult to go to that place and, and to be there. Well, it can be. The words that we say, are so intense. In my characters, the Erosta, I'm talking about murder and blood and violence. Yeah. Literally these words. I kind of have to take a step back from myself as a person, get into that character and bring some integrity to what I'm saying. It's interesting. I go there, I do that, and when I'm done, I get off the stage, I take a breath, and I'm myself again. Silly and all that. Yeah. Stuff. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's really, really good that you have this, and it's very professional, I imagine. To oh, have you this. have to. Yeah. You have to. It's really dangerous to kind of stay in that mm -hmm. too much. And some people do that. And it's like, I don't think so. Yeah. Especially in this story. It can be traumatizing. Yeah. It's a story about trauma. The whole thing is about trauma. Yeah. I'm sure we can all find places in real life today that can bring us to that space. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. There's much going on in the world right now, especially now, you know. Yeah. It's not lost on me that there's this household of women, basically, and the trauma that has been visited on them has been no small extent through misogyny and oppression. Mm -hmm. They look to Orestes as the male heir to rescue them, but he doesn't. He kills them all. In this particular staging, particularly telling, because basically he goes in there and kills a room full of women. The only exception is that he's an old man. What does that say? His mother, the old lady, who's like the witch, the Fatalta and the Schleppwegen, these young women, he murders them all. And then 
realizing the enormity of what he does, has done, he's insane. He realizes that this is a horrible thing that he has done, you know. But it, it continues that pattern of misogyny and violence and force yeah. against women. Yeah. You know, which is at the core of the story. Chirot and Volokhovsky go address this in different ways. Chirot focuses on the strength of the women. Orestes only kills Clytemnestra and Aegisthus. No other women in that household are harmed. And he leaves in something of a stupor, and the issue is not resolved. Electra does not die. She and Chrysotomus are left to contend with their life mm -hmm. as it is. In the Volokovsky, as I say, you have a room full of dead women. You know. yeah. What does that say? What is it that he's saying? In interviews I've seen with him recently, he says that they are all bad characters. I think that they are all problematic characters and all complicated characters, like most human beings. Mm -hmm. Was it for you to, still you had a lot of free space to find the ways you want to react and, and, and act? What helped you, inspired you? Actually, the character that I had before gave me some tools to work with. That character is in a particular context, and the context here is different. What that did help me with was interpreting these, these lines. How did I want to express this particular text? What words are important, what words are not? So I would say that I built that on my own work. Also, the work that we did with the conductor in the musical rehearsals mm -hmm. was very much focused on text. Maestro Velzemust had some very specific ideas in terms of what he wanted to hear in terms of the text. That was something else to work with. What I would not say is that it was based on any recordings or any past performances. Yeah. These roles are not huge enough for that. If I were singing Clytemnestra, which is a role I would like to eventually sing, hopefully soon. <laughs> now that's something else again, because of the size of the role and the complexity of it, there are people I would want to hear and learn from. Um, the Clytemnestra that I know the best because I've worked with her is Valtraut Maya, who is a very fine stage actress. Yeah, one of the great singers of our time. By observing her work, I learned a great deal about this character. And Tanya does a spectacular job here as well. I haven't been able to see as much of her work because I'm not on stage as okay. much of the time as any other, you know, to really see it. But what I've seen of what she does is very, it's almost like she's a televangelist which is a really interesting direction to take that in. It's like she and these two ladies, the Schleppträgerin and the Fatality, and um, this old lady, the yeah. witch, that it's a kind of a cult, almost like a religious cult. Uh -huh. And she's the minister of this very strange cult. Yeah. You know? yeah. I was like, hmm, that's an interesting direction. What she doesn't do, and I'm so glad she doesn't do this, and Valtra didn't do this either, they don't play her as an over-the-top crazy, yeah. you know, just like a wild animal, yeah, yeah. you know, which is often done. This almost 
the usual way it's done, where, you know, she's a raving, bloodthirsty lunatic. Like um, Astrid Varney in the um, Gottfriedrich film, you know, with this, you know, grand guignol makeup, these yeah. huge black circles under the eyes, and white makeup, these bizarre red lips, and, you know, and they look like seriously cray-cray. It's like, oh, honey, you went into a dangerous place here. I'm glad it's just the DVD. <laughs> Wouldn't want this in my living room. Okay. Sometimes when it's that extreme, it is kind of fun. It's you know kind of juicy. It's like yeah, you know, yeah. it's almost like watching a cartoon. But see, it's not supposed to be a cartoon. Yeah. But what both of these ladies have done is much more subtle and much more complex and multi-sided. And then you can find more humanity in them and then... Absolutely. And Clytemnestra has a reason for being what yes. she is. The child that she loved the most was murdered by her husband rather callously. It's a recurring thing. And when people are living with oppression, how they deal with that manifests itself mm -hmm. in many different ways. Yeah. As an African-American, this is something I know intimately from mm -hmm. the experience of my own people yeah. in America. Yeah. It's a challenge to retain your wholeness as a human being when it's constantly being chipped away at yeah. you know, yeah. in certain ways. She's a monster that is created in uh, with, with Tanya. It's this kind of cult figure mm -hmm. who's actually terribly insecure, fearful woman. And with Alcha, this is very fragile, almost desiccated, kind of exhausted figure. But what it's not is... <laughs> like Ms. Warnai, who really goes way over the top and then comes back down the other side. Yeah. Was there also people that helped with the acting part of the opera? And how was it for you to combine acting with singing? And oh, well, with opera, it is always yeah, acting. Always. That's, that is what <laughs> opera is. Well, under the, when it's done right, that's what it is. It's not always. You know. Of course, there's the regisseur. Mm -hmm. He has specific things that he wants. There's the conductor, who yeah. is also steering dramatic elements through through mm -hmm. the music. In this production we also had the choreographer who functioned as a assistant director as well, Claude. Okay. He would offer suggestions, especially in terms of movement, mm -hmm. in terms of focusing the character in a certain direction. We also, in the Shura production, had two assistant directors. Those were also special circumstances because um, Shiro was dying. He was terminally ill. Okay. Okay. And after the original production in X, he um, passed two months later. <clears throat> and so one assistant director was there specifically to take over for him for yeah. the future productions coming up. And the other was a representative from the Metropolitan Opera, Patrick McClintock. His job was basically to pinpoint accuracy notate staging so that it could be taken from one theater to the next. Adjustments okay. could be made as needed to adjust to the size of the stage and dimensions and all, but that the authenticity and accuracy of the staging would be retained indefinitely. Mm -hmm. So if we were to remount that again in Rio de Janeiro for some reason, the complete staging, 100% accuracy, 
would be reported by him. Now that we did not have, as far as I know, there may also be an element of the whole pandemic thing. There's some things that we've had to downsize, just in the selection of the authors they chose to go with this season. Normally, I believe the festival has like six authors, and they only did two, and they're both productions with relatively small ensemble requirements. Cozy is six people on stage, Basta Cozy. Yeah, yeah. With Electro, it's a larger cast, but at almost no time is everyone on stage at the same time. And it's a massive stage, so it's, there's some distancing yeah. going on. You know, like the Alfsia in the fifth theater, way downstage here. Yeah. Electro is way over there. Yeah. You have the three girls who are together with their feet in the pool, mm -hmm. and I'm upstage. On that huge Felsenwright Schule stage, you know, there are what? Seven people spread all over. Aria is just Electra, and a statist Agamemnon crosses the stage. Two people with her sister, two people with Clytemnestra, two people. Yep. You know, it's, it's very intimate mm -hmm. in a way on that massive stage. I do know that that's the music I live for in this <laughs> You know, I just stop whatever it is I'm doing and I listen to that. Because <laughs> it's desert island music. It's, you know, one of those things you want to take with you if something happens, yeah. and it could, <laughs> considering our circumstances right now. So what about your relationship with Strauss music? Are there elements in, in this composer that you particularly enjoy, or are there particular challenges? Well, this role is a bark and a That's the role. But um, in general, it's cathartic music. This piece, in particular, it starts out like a slap in the face. Volpleit Electro. It literally is like a slap in the face. And the ending is also like stabbing, or I don't know. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, it's it's like a fist coming down, yeah. slam down. Yeah. You know, it's it's cathartic. That's the word. That's the word. And there's this this constant broiling of all this emotion and intensity. For a moment you have a breath with the recognition scene and then it starts building up again. It's a masterpiece. It's an absolute masterpiece, both of opera and of theater. There's not a wasted note. Every production I've done, of every performance I've done of this piece, the audience loses its mind. I mean, they just scream and jump to their feet. <laughs> Even in Salzburg, which is very, we are correct. Sokora changes them. It's just like, you know, it's like, hell with this gown. <laughs> Mask, hell. <laughs> it's been quite a ride there with this piece. You know, nine productions. In Aix-en-Provence, the original for the show, it's a very warm audience. We've done this twice in Milan. Moscow is a little more reserved also, but this reluctance they said, oh, they had to let it out. In Helsinki, at the Met, in Barcelona, Barcelona loved it. Berlin loved it. It's that piece. Zalome has, I guess, similar kinds of things going on, but there's something about Electra that's just so tight. Yeah, yeah. I hope that this has been helpful for you. Yes.
it was very interesting. And I learned some new things. <laughs> and also left. <laughs> you have to keep your sense of humor in this business. It's, the more serious the work is, the more you have to hold on to your humor. Yeah. You know, sure. you know it's, it balances itself out. Some people take themselves a lot too seriously. Mm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> really? <laughs> okay.